Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. What's this? Another Oscar profile review? Another actual honest-to-God movie review? That's right. It must be November. Uh, We're getting this one in. The Holdovers, the latest, the Paul Giamatti vehicle, the Divine Joy Randolph in this as well. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, it's another movie we like, which is Mm -hmm. insane. Like, usually it's like, you know, a parade of uh, happiness followed by... Disappointment. Yeah, just, just... Bitter, and we're never we're never classy. You and I, we're always <laughs> bitter and angry, and yet, and, and yeah, we're, we're curmudgeons like the main character in this movie. Yes, I would say yes, but but I've but, had Paul this this character mm-hmm. by the way. I've I've had him in law school. He was my uh, good professor. I had yeah. him in I had him in school as well. I had two, well, let me let me, two let me examples. edit that. I I've had him without the uh, redemption arc. <laughs> <laughs> I had redemption arcs, and I, I good, just haven't. Good. You know, I've had teary-eyed handshakes. Anyway, oh, good. Anyway, I, I I'm a big fan of uh, this character and this character arc, and I think uh, I think you are too. And we're, yeah, like we're we're on a roll right now, Michael. I mean, it's a it's a winning streak, I'd say. You know, it's this two in a row that two movies in a row that we think are <laughs> actual right, two in a row. Oscar movies. If it's one more, if Rustin hits, we're on a winning streak. There you go. If you've not joined us before for an Oscars profile review, what they are are two reviews in one episode. The first half of every Oscars profile review, we are do give you a non-spoiler review. We're going to go into basically the Oscars lens. We'll hold everything up, what we think the Oscars chances of the movie are. Uh, we won't go too far into the plot details, and we won't spoil anything for you in the first half of this episode or any Oscars profile review. We'll save that for the second half. The second half of every review is going to be uh, spoiler-filled, and we'll, uh, we'll go into the ins and outs of the plots and what we liked and disliked about it uh, thereon. All right, so to introduce the movie, we'll go over some receptions here. We got the critical reception, Michael, 81 meta score on 74 critics. That's a lot of critics weighing in there. Mm-hmm. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes on 189 reviews. The audiences are very high as well, 91%, uh, 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb. We've talked about the number of reviews on IMDb being very small in comparison to Netflix. Here's a question to open off. Do you think this movie is being played right in terms of being put in theaters, limited release, or do you think this should have been like a Netflix or a Peacock or kind of a release? I know, I know. Film Twitter's upset at me for mentioning it, but, but what do you think? $30 million, which is what the, the, the price tag is you have written down here as Miramax sold it to Focus Features for that much. I, I don't. I mean, does this strike you as something that's going to do $30 million in the box office or the old two and a half adage, which I guess would be 75? Well, we're jumping all over our Google Doc, but I agree with that questioning because my theaters were packed. This movie expanded from, I think, six theaters to 64 to 778 theaters this past week over a three-week expansion. I wonder how many theaters it's going to be in next week but my two screenings were absolutely packed in connecticut 35 Good. 40 people each screening you just saw it kind of middle of the day what what, what was the size of your crowd it was me and four old people <laughs> all right so not playing great during the day but it's it's playing well at night i saw it twice at night and i i would guess that this movie's gonna do well it just did 4.6 over the third week, so it's it's over five million now as it's as it's uh, platforming, and it's just a rare platform release 
that we that we've seen of late. So I would think the holdovers has got a chance if it can get some legs here to make. Some I would. Money. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope it does. I just don't know that this is, this doesn't strike me as the type of movie that's going to be overly profitable, especially if you have a thirty million dollar price tag hanging on it. The thirty million dollar price tag, I think, is over the sixteen million dollar budget. I read sixteen million dollars somewhere. I don't know if that's true. It was like a Google search. But uh, yeah, I I wonder. I, look, audience audience awards are going in its favor. Montclair, San Diego, the holdovers was the runner up at TIFF. We got a Gotham nom for Divine Joy Randolph. We got Rising Star awards, and I would think Dominic Sessa gets a lot of those. You know, debut actor awards for the rest of the season. I think the critics are in favor of it. I think audiences love it. Connecticut loves it, Michael. I think it's a New England, <laughs> Connecticut movie, so maybe it's that's definitely just a us. New England movie. Yeah. So I wondered if it was a you know a bum f Connecticut audience that 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 shows up in force, or if this is happening the rest of the country. Let us know, MMOers. Let us know yeah. if you're in the rest of the country and this movie is is a hit in terms of its platform release at and at your local theater. I, I'm very curious. I'm going to watch this box office story, uh, and it's going to matter in terms of my. Oscar prognostications because a lot of these, you know, Oscar lens debates, I would say, it's going to be close. Like th- there is a bloodbath in several categories mm-hmm. when we get to it later in this section. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. And this does hold up well to some Oscars lenses in certain Oscars categories. I agree with that as well. Uh, all right, let's 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 dive in. Uh, look, we've talked about Alexander Payne, the director, and we've talked about his, uh, his issues and allegations that have been made against him previously. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but it is, I mean, you have to mention it. There's, there is a story to be told with, re- with regards to what people have accused him of. Yeah, and I debated on whether or not we should bring this back up again because I think we've covered it three separate times. Yeah in our past, uh, on past Oscar race checkpoints or even MMO weeklies, because this dropped like late, late in the pandemic, 2020, where Rose McGowan came out and accused Alexander Payne of essentially statutory rape. When she was 15, Mm -hmm. she was doing a small film for him. And they, he apparently showed her softcore pornography uh, that he had directed and they had sex, and obviously she's she's underage, so therefore it's statutory rape. Now, he has denied these allegations, and he has stated the fact that, or I don't know if the fact, but he has, he has said that they got to know each other years later when she was up for a part uh, being 19 years old where she had to be of age. So he right. admits to knowing her when they were both young, when he was like a 23, 24-year-old filmmaker, but he says essentially that she had gotten her times mixed up. She was yeah. not 15, she was 19. I looked through the I looked through the internet trying to find if there was any kind of follow-up to the story. And these allegations really didn't go further than that. This was a story in variety at one point. I don't know how we've come to cover it so many times in our past, but I, we, we try to I mean, we try to cover these things when they happen, and Rose McGowan obviously proven very right because she was one of the first accusers of Harvey Weinstein right. and proven very truthful during mm-hmm. that Me Too movement. And she was one of the leaders of the Me Too movement, uh, sure. and especially against Harvey Weinstein. So we've been suspicious of Alexander Payne since then, correct? Yeah, and and we brought it up in 
it's kind of like a for obviously it's it's worth meriting and worth talking about for one but for two also if this does have the oscars legs you don't know in what categories and it's going to be a storyline i mean if you know it's very easy for the media to take something like this and turn it into some kind of oscars fodder as well not that that matters nearly as much as what the allegation is clearly and obviously and that's where we try to put our focus on the allegation itself and any potential victims with with those types of allegations but i mean this is this all does play into uh, life and the Oscars race attached to it. I just haven't heard any follow-ups to it. I haven't read any follow-ups. I haven't heard any blowback. And you wonder, did like, did this thing get squashed in the, he said, he said, he said, she said portion where he's like, you're confused. This happened five years later than you're saying it. Like, I I just don't know what to believe it. I guess we, we can't know. You and I yeah. can't know, and and our audience cannot know. We we just won't know until it, till it, uh, till it outs. I guess. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but again, something we had to make mention of. Uh, we addressed that. We'll we'll try to move on from it. We'll talk about the plot premise of this movie. A cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. Okay, so our expectations to, for this movie were very high. We've been hearing the holdovers was going to be a best picture possibility. Obviously, a contender in many categories. Many of the main categories, I would say. Probably mm-hmm. not a production values movie where it's going to wind up with the most noms on the day. But, you know, there, there's there's possibilities. But this is going to be director, screenplay, supporting actress, actor, maybe supporting actor, picture, right? It's one of those type of movies, yeah, Michael. I would agree. And now you wonder with the baggage of Alexander Payne, if there is any, if if this is the case or if everybody's touting him on a return to form, if this is going to be one of those director screenplay, I mean, if this is going to be one of those director screenplay picture composition juggernauts in that sense, I, I would say right now it's it's probably on the outside looking in with director, but screenplay, I've seen this atop Clayton Davis's five and I've seen I think it's third in uh Scott's but original screenplay by David Hemmingson from Blackish How I Met Your Mother American Dad Family Guy it's really cool to see a a TV writer from a lot of our favorite shows write his first screenplay and just knock it out of the park in my opinion and screenplay is where, it, uh, at least amongst director and picture, is where it has the best chances on Gold Derby as well. It's in a lot of ones and twos. It's in 23 of the experts' top five. Director is only in 10 of the, uh, of the all the Gold Derby experts, experts right now. And Payne, who is in the 10 he is in, is in like the fourth or fifth slot. Picture is kind of the same thing. It's in 22 top fives, but it's mostly in the seven, eight, nine, or 10 slot for a majority of those. So it would seem that screenplay, at least as we go by Gold Derby, is kind of, uh, of those three categories, is the one where original screenplay is where it maybe poses the biggest threat to win. I think the holdovers, just as a conceit, as a story conceit, it's overcoming a lot of obstacles, at least in my brain. And I wonder if it's doing the same for you, Michael, because first and foremost, the conceit of this story bothered me. It felt like it was hearkening back to a bygone bygone era, you know, all the way back to 2019, where <laughs> maladjusted white guy characters, undeserving of their lead roles, take all their wisdom from mentor characters from marginalized groups of society that are <laughs> suffering terribly. Yada, yada, yada. We get unearned catharsis for the white guys and, you know, and another green book or God forbid driving Miss Daisy is added in the best picture ranks. Because look at this movie felt like something that would have won best pictures in the 90s or aughts or 
you know, one of those compromised candidates, at least on the story premise level. And then when you actually add the baggage coming, you know, for, for, with pain or the baggage coming from my past, because I feel like I've lived some of this story coming from mm-hmm. a Catholic high school. I, I was fearing this film, again, as a conceit. The execution, I think, is much more refreshing. I do think they overcome a lot of those quote-unquote stereotypes. And, and th- th- where my brain gets cynical about a project like this, this movie does a lot to, to get past that. I wonder if it's the same for you or if you're still a bit cynical. No, I, I'm not cynical in that way on it. I didn't even really, I mean, those are interesting points you're bringing up, and I'm wondering how it did avoid kind of those pitfalls. And it's not like a white savior. It's not like a white know-it-all. It doesn't seem to fall into the traps that something like Green Book had before it even. Right. But you know, I'm, I'm thinking back now, how did he? How did, how did that happen? Because it seems like it should have, and, and that's what we've dealt with so many times before. But I agree with you. Yeah, it seemed to... It seemed to overcome that or at least sidestep it. I was bracing for impact, let's just say. Yeah. But uh, I do think they, they got past. And I do think there's a lot of truth here. I, I have two you know, high school teachers, you know, RIP to both Bruce Jaff, Jaffe and Bob Sirocco. I'll mention their name on the podcast because I love them both as teachers in American history and Western Civ, respectively. I felt like I knew Paul Hunnam here. And I love both of those teachers. I remember teary-eyed handshakes with them both at the end of my high school careers. And, you know, not for arcs like this, but that, but that rang true to me. Uh, and then, you know, the old-timey feel felt it, it felt authentic. Like this felt like the 1970s. It felt like a 1970s movie. Hal Ashby, Robert Altman, Bob Rafelson, Francois Truffaut. Victoria DeSica, all of them have been mentioned as influences. Of course, the Silver Age of Ashby Altman, Rafelson, and in the 70s is something that Hemmingson and, and Payne have, have harped on as being influential in making this movie. But yeah, I mean, the good old days, Michael, when you could smoke and drink and do all of that in front of children, right? <laughs> when white men ruled the world. Yeah, the good old. No. Uh, and Focus Features does a good job, too, going above and beyond to kind of set that. T- I mean, even the, the title card, even the studio card is in that old school 1970s presentation. The camera and the lens, whatever lens they use, is like a, a old school photo lens. It feels like you're watching something from the past. So, yeah, they really do try to hammer that into your head all movie long. It's, I mean, it's. Between the, if you play this and Dead Poet Society side by side, you're thinking you're on the same campus. Yeah, and yet they all mentioned to a man that they deliberately wanted to avoid remaking Dead Poet Society. <laughs> they I don't know mentioned... that they accomplished that. <laughs> I don't know uh, anyway, we got thoughts on Dead Poet Society, but I mean, you you liked that, didn't you? I I did not like. Dead Poets it's Society. a rough rewatch. I mean, okay, it all right. Lie. So, all yeah. right. No, we're down on Dead Poet Society. We're monsters. People love it's that the, movie. The it's statutory rape movie. scene that was celebrated. Oh yeah, in the yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the story itself, the story itself of the holdovers, we're gonna have nitpicks, and yet I do think they got a lot of the big things right. Similar to what we said in the killer, they got yeah. a lot of the big movements right. This storyline felt familiar, and yet surprised me. You know, it, it, which is what Hollywood has been built on. Give me, give me something I, I know, know I and then twist it so that I, I walk away delighted. Right. So that's yeah. one of the more trickier things to accomplish, especially around these awards grabby projects. So there, I'm very happy with. The and it's led by by Paul Giamatti's performance most of all. No, uh, look, I think this is the best of his career. I think this is the best of the year. 
He's got his trademark, I'm, I'm nearly in tears moments, these Oscario mm-hmm. moments that we saw in Sideways that we've seen from him a hundred times. But he's also got these big comedic you know, performances. And a lot this. of stares. A lot of stares that are like hopeful and tearful. A lot of stares that are funny and their own jokes. A lot of, uh, I mean, you love the eyes and this one literally has a joke about eyes right. written into it and a heartfelt moment about eyes written into it. Yeah. It's a steep arc for his character. And I think that matters when people are, are voting. And look, I, I just think this, this is going to be a bloodbath in lead actor and there's going to be mm-hmm. a brutal snub. Like right now, I think... Bradley Cooper and Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, Leo. Ugh. Like, who's getting snubbed out of that group? But, you know, we have not seen Coleman Domingo. We're going to study him this weekend in Ruston. We have not seen and- uh, Jeffrey Wright yet, excuse me. We have not seen Joaquin Phoenix yet, Barry Keoghan or Nicolas Cage or Koji Yakusho or Zac Efron. Like, they may crash this party, but I'm looking at Cooper, Murphy, Leo, Giamatti, as four that should be in in almost any year. But then you have Wright and Rust and Rustin's Domingo. So let's say that's six. And you, you, there's only five nominees. Somebody is going to get, <laughs> there's going to be a heartbreak in this category is what I'm trying to say. The number one guy on uh, Gold Derby right now is Michael Musto, and he uh, is one of the few that has Giamatti out of his top five. It's the most recently updated, and yet his five are Cooper, Killian, Coleman, Domingo, Leo, and Barry Keoghan, uh, while it's Claudia Puig, who is uh, second most recently updated, has Giamatti at her number one. So, Well, that's, <laughs> that's the, the kind thing. Of, yeah. That's I the have him you're dealing with. at my number one. I am a very white guy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just white. And the mm-hmm. white people... And there's a lot of white people in the academy. Anyway, I don't want to make it about race. But I, but truthfully, I think a lot of the old guard in the academy, and the academy is getting newer but still old, they're going to love this Giamatti performance. I would agree with that. It does feel like an I mean, the whole movie, like you already said, feels like an old school. If this was made in like 1991, this would be winning a billion categories. I think he's in, and I think he's going to be a heartbreaker for a lesser seen film. And I don't. And maybe that's what you, the rubric is. Like, which which of these other films are lesser seen? I mean, it might it might be. But Coleman this Domingo, might be the lesser seen film too. We don't know yet. I don't know yet. You're right. Anyway, Paul Giamatti very strong. I think it's his career best, but that's just where I'm at right now. Dominic Sessa is Angus Tully. You are not high on him. Not a day older than 43. He looks in this movie. <laughs> He's 22. I, I, I don't. I don't like the casting. I, I, there's just. I like. I said to you in the pre-production. I think there's going to be one protagonist in an Oscars film per year that I just want to fight and punch in the face. And last year it was the kid from Cha Cha Real Smooth. And this year it's Dominic Sessa. And I'm sorry to him. But there are just some facial expressions he gives in this that are just like cringeworthy to me. I mean, he does a good job overall, but. He has some turnoff stuff that is just it, it like it takes me out of my viewing experience. So you think it's bad acting, or you think it's it's just the character just being so abrasive? I want it to be the latter, because I think he's supposed to be an abrasive character. He's supposed to be he the type is, of character clearly, that, yeah, yeah, he is gets but, on your last nerve. Man, when Paul Giamatti asks him if he's dialing up a hotel, and the response he gives in his face, I like I I. Verly have such a viscerally cringy reaction, even in real life. But I was—I almost like booed the screen. <laughs> That's like, unfortunate. Oh! That's yeah, unfortunate not because 
I think he has his moments in this performance. I think he's very good to the point where he's in my five right now and supporting actor. I I, I get it. I totally I loved, get it. I loved him in this. I mean, it's his debut performance, which only adds to the degree of dif- difficulty here. Can I you not, not see this him. character and the cha-cha real smooth character hanging out in real life, though? So that was, uh, <laughs> I forget, but that was a director of the movie. I forget yeah. that uh, Cooper Rafe. Excuse me, so, fought him too. Is what I'm saying. You didn't like Cooper Rafe. <laughs> you don't. You can't see the two of those characters hanging yeah, I, out together playing no, video games. It's an awkward role, but I think that's the point of the role. I mean, he's supposed to be. I get. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but that's. It, it felt like a mistake to me in some of these things. Maybe I. I, I didn't I get know. there. I, I loved the kid in this movie. I thought, you know, he if he doesn't. If he's not able to go toe to toe with Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph and 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 make this work, then this movie falls flat on its face. And it, it, there's big scenes where that. where he really hits it out of the park. But he is a he is a, a casting from one of these boarding schools where they were filming on location, and he was uh, he was a recent graduate from Deerfield Academy. He is not a professional actor. He was a quote unquote discovery. And basically he had such a, such a great audition where he went opposite of, uh, Paul Giamatti and, and, and in the room. And he went right at him, apparently, according to Payne, to the point where he got cast. So he, he must've been an acting student at one of these academies, but because he does, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Maybe he was. Totally... I'm okay being called dumb for this, but I, I, I don't know. I, it didn't I, do it for me. I, I I didn't feel the same way for you, but uh, or as you, but I think he's going to get a lot of uh, work going forward. Is I my would guess. Agree. But uh, yeah, I mean that's another bloodbath of a category supporting actor. Here's where I think this movie is going to be cinched in. Like Divine Joy Randolph, by many a pundit's list, she is the front runner now in supporting actress. Good. Clayton Davis has Mary Lamb right right out front. I think Scott has her number two or three right behind Jodie Foster or, or somebody else. I forget. Excuse me. Go look up the Feinberg forecast to find that out. But Divine Joy Randolph's got the big Oscar reel scene in that kitchen. But she's also got so many small scenes where she makes such unique choices. Like, I'll give one brief example. At the mass where she looks at the ceiling momentarily, you know, I'll be vague about it, but... I think when I'm about to cry, I may look up at the ceiling, <laughs> even in a movie where I'm watching her and I get all the suds in the back of my throat because I'm so emotional at, uh, you know, knowing what her character's been through. And I look up at the ceiling. Jesus Christ. I thought that was a brilliant choice. That's just the tiniest choice. But yeah. that's her reaction shot. And that's what she chooses to do. And it makes so much sense because, of course, that's what, that's what people do when they're about to cry. They've got to look away from, you know. The priest gaze in that moment, right? She is great in this, and she does do a, a billion little things well. And when she has to do the big things, she nails those too. She has this accent that we were trying to pinpoint, and we we guessed it's Rhode Island. It kind of comes and goes, which is, <laughs> which is a little off putting. But it's not doesn't, Massachusetts, though. yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't do nearly enough to take you out of her performance. She's she's wonderful in this. I would love to see her win for this performance. Um, and I I have a question for you, by the way. I I, mm-hmm. I wonder where you rank. In terms of trios of performances, where you rank this trio? Because there's been some great trios this year. You know, we started the year out with Damon. Expand Dave- the category, right? But da- Damon, Damon, oh Damon Davis and Affleck from <laughs> it's a Air. law firm. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, Lee Greta Lee Teo Yo and uh, mm-hmm. John Magaro from Past Lives. 
I mean, we have obviously Killian Murphy, RDJ, and Emily Blunt, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, and, and America Ferreira. We got uh, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Defoe, DiCaprio, Gladstone, De Niro. Holy shnikes. Like the How trios. fun would that be to have a category? It would be fun. It would be right? a lot of fun. But I would rank this trio up with any trio right now based on where I have them ranked. I have Giamatti one. I have Divine Joy Randolph one in supporting actress. And I have Sessa four in supporting actor. Obviously, you know, we're catching up on more movies yet to come. But I I think it's a great yeah. trio. I mean, shooting from the hip, I, I, I would I would agree with you because I w- I'm going to have Giamatti very high and Divine Joy Randolph is probably my number one. But look, she's at least in the conversation now and that conversation is only going to be like six, seven names deep, right? You're going to have like your Penelope Cruz, your Emily Blunts, Daniel Brooks, or maybe someone from The Color Purple, mm-hmm. maybe maybe Jodie Foster, maybe Vanessa Kirby. You know, you're going to have, the, that's pretty much going to be your list. Viola Davis is going to be talked about, Traji P. Henson maybe, but that's it. Like six, seven names is going to be that category, and, right. and Divine Joy Randolph's in there now. But I'm mentioning the trio because I wonder if on, I want, I wonder if on their strength, this could get into a SAG ensemble and surprise people or or not. I, I wonder. I mean, typically... Well, it might just because it, that that's all there is, is these perform Like, this is a performance movie. It's Like mm-hmm. we said, it's not going to be a lot of production values nominations, we wouldn't think. This is going to hinge on both the script yeah. and the performances. But we've seen some smaller casts get nominated in SAG Ensemble before. It, it has happened, just if you got great performances at the center. So we'll, we'll have to watch that and how it... Uh, plays out in terms of the production values i'm just going to say a couple things quick and it's probably a short conversation here but cinematography i'm a big fan uh, it looked like a 1970s film loved it mm-hmm. i love some choices you know they go to a high you know master shot to to show some bookstore right i, I, I won't even spoil anything beyond Typical that but... alexander Payne zoom in <laughs> and then zoom out as paul giamatti yells something loved yeah. it i i love the uh I loved how they shot the campus where the, you know, you're, you don't know the natural surroundings of the campus until you, you, you walk around a corner and the camera shows you a river out of nowhere. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just thought that was very, very smart and, I, and it, it felt great and it felt comfortable to watch uh, the cinematography here. The editing is, is also great. And that's something that's, that's high on a lot of people's lists right now. I think it's fourth on Clayton Davis's list makes sense because this is a very streamlined story for I mean I think it goes too long I'm getting into that in spoilers but it only goes too long for me by about like 20 minutes which is like brisk compared to some yeah. of his other movies right but Kevin Tent longtime Alexander Payne editor one Oscar nom for the Descendants five-time ace Eddie nom so he's due uh costumes Wendy Chuck again period piece felt Felt great. Felt I want to go as Paul Giamatti next Halloween. <laughs> there you go. Makeup and hair hairstyling. The, the pipe and the the sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah. Sarah Rubano and Michael White. I mean, they they had to do some makeup and hairstyling, obviously with the with the eyes situation for Paul Giamatti's character. So that was good. I love the soundtrack and the music to this movie. Damien Gerardo's Silver Joy opening credits. Uh, you have the crying, laughing, loving, lying song. You have Cat Stevens' The Wind showing up. So in the opposite of our last movie we talked about, I was not score deaf, but I was soundtrack deaf because the only thing I heard in this one was the score, which is like if the the social network wanted to make you feel less whimsical. <laughs> you know, it was very piano heavy, but it was just a piano in a lot of spots. Well, I don't know. I am a Fifi Introspective man. and... I like Downton Abbey in the Gilded Age. I like slow <laughs> walks on a snowy sidewalk. I just felt very comfortable watching this movie. 
Maybe, I don't know. I wonder how that translates to people who aren't from the Northeast, too. I don't know. That's because, they, I mean, you have people who grew up, born and bred in Hollywood that have never even seen snow. You know what I mean? Except for on screen. And to us, it's like, oh, yeah, that's okay. That's North, That's New England in the winter. That's something we're going to deal with in like a week here. You know what I mean? I tell you what. He made Hawaii feel very uniquely Hawaii. And the mm. descendants, sideways, Napa Valley, that was a quintessential. This good guy point. has a good, good feel for, for setting. And these movies feel very authentic. Obviously, he's done Nebraska. He's doing Nebraska in his next movie, like a Western in 1886, Nebraska. But uh, he, he really makes you feel where, you know, where these movies are from. So he did that again. All right. So in terms of uh, Oscar lens, though, we, we got to talk about it. Like Divine Joy Randolph in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Original, Giamatti too. Original screenplay in. Probably. Yeah. If Giamatti's in on top of those two things, then picture is probably in. Most so likely, but would you four. throw would you throw editing in there? So I would say it's a coin flip. It's literally a coin flip for and, and people are mad at us right now because for saying Giamatti's in. Everybody <laughs> But okay. Well, but. I mean I, I get that, but it just it's less I say that less to do with us and how we feel about him and more to do with the Academy. The Academy probably nominates somebody with the legacy of Paul Giamatti. For this is a 95-mile-an-hour fastball right on the corner for the Academy, isn't it's it? It's his best performance. So who gets snubbed? Does Leo get snubbed? I mean, you got you got to see Leo yet. But I, look, I, haven't, I, don't yeah, think... I, haven't, I haven't seen Salford. I haven't seen... But, like, it's... It, it's. I mean, if Coleman Domingo's a one... If that if Rustin is a one-category movie, then maybe. If if Saltburn is too weird for the Academy, then maybe Barry Keoghan's out. If American fiction loses momentum, I mean, there's there's narratives which you could attach to anyone that I can see right. getting a veteran like Giamatti in. But you can make the, I mean, you, I guess a lot of the arguments you can make in Giamatti's favor, you could probably make the same arguments for Jeffrey Wright's favor, which makes me on a, you know, yeah, gun to my head right now. Jeffrey Wright hasn't broken through yet. Giamatti's been there, done that. Right. He's, he's, That's true. He's the overdue knocking one, quote on the door. Unquote. He's been knocking on the door. Right. Obviously, Jeffrey Wright, we've been banging on the table for him to get nominated 100 times over. But, you know, we, we still got to see that performance yet. And I don't know. I Someone's going to get their heart broken in this category because I think there are six very. Who are you most confident in right now? Like, well, Killian what, what? Murphy's he, he's in. Agreed. I think Bradley Cooper's in. I would be shocked. I but agree. then again. I agree. You know, I, I, I anyway, I think. Uh, you think Leo's in? I think Leo's in. I think I I would snub Leo, truthfully. But he's Leo. He's Leo. But yeah, I could I could see that happening. It's such a grotesque character, <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a yokel accent. Uh, the teeth. Uh, he's unrecognizable, Mike. I don't know if you know this. You're pushing my buttons here. All right, look. <laughs> it took me a minute to catch what you were doing. Look, Giamatti should be in in any year is he is he definitely there maybe not but i do think you got three coin flips i think sessa could be a spoiler i've sure. seen debut see performances that. like this and it's category fraud for christ's sake i would this is i would hander. yeah and i would i would put the odds against that but i could see it happening like but this is pacino and I mean, literally, this is like a Pacino Brando Godfather situation where this kid is probably the lead of the movie, even though Giamatti, or they, he has at least equal screen time to the teacher character. I want to see Matt's I'm screen thinking, time. 
I'm, Screen I'm time. The, yeah, because because breakdown. The majority of this, I mean, are there more than two scenes in which he's in without Giamatti? And vice versa. But it's a two hand. I mean, it's it, the movie's about these two two characters yeah. most of all. And Divine Joy Randolph is the the B story that beautifully crashes with the A story. Right. Love the screenwriting. Obviously, it, it makes sense. It's very structural in that re- that regard. It's uh, it, it's category fraud is what it is because they're both <laughs> leads. <laughs> but he's going to be in supporting, and I could see the the quantity of that performance, and and there is quality in there. You you admit it as much as well. Yeah. He could he could be a spoiler and supporting actor. I I would guess no, but if you gun to my head, but you never know. It's possible. So film editing, pain and director, Sessant supporting actor. Those three are coin flips. Even if you thought Giamatti's a coin flip and lead actor, over under four point five. Where are you going? Four point five. I would take the under. So, so you don't think any of those coin flips play out, or you, you, you just well, bit? you're giving. Uh, you have to put money on it. You have screenplay, to put screenplay, picture, Joy Randolph and Giamatti. If Giamatti's that much of a coin flip, then I would, yeah, I. I if Giamatti doesn't get in, Sessa and editing aren't getting in, right? I, I mean, Payne's kind of his own thing. Hey, it's it's your money. Yeah, I would take the under at four and a half. Three and a half, though, I might take the over. So I don't know if four might be the the real number you want to do if you're Vegas. Well, I'm. I, this is not for Vegas. This is for our audience. <laughs> I, I'm going over. I I would go over. You would the go. Opposite. You think I, I would think editing gets in. I could see Sessa getting in. I, I'm guessing pain. No, but it's possible. This is. I mean, this is one of his best movies, and the Academy loves him. That's a tall order for Sessa to break through in that category. As a guy who's not a traditional actor and was just kind of found. We've seen it happen time and again. Not with that backstory. Beasts of the Southern Southern Wild. Uh, what was the movie with the, the whale rider? These like debut performances just boom, you know, and, and they could be cast from anywhere. We just saw it with Roma, right? She's a school teacher and then mm, she's crashing true. lead actress. Aparizio. That's true. That's true. Well, maybe. All right. They, I think that the Academy loves this when it happens. <laughs> he is a boarding student. Oh, my God. He just graduated. And he's going toe-to-toe with Paul Giamatti. He was acting in A Midsummer Night's Dream last semester, and now he's going toe-to-toe with Paul Giamatti. He's going to be in there with Downey and De Niro and Gosling and Ruffalo. <laughs> he's going to uh-huh. be the fifth. It, it's... It's possible. I just, I, I think the amount of this performance and the quality of the performance, in my opinion, in any year, like I feel like pandemic years, this kid's in. Rewind two years ago. The reason, if he's the reason Sterling K. Brown gets held out, I'm going to be very upset. I don't know. We haven't seen him yet. Yeah, I know. It could be a loaded category. Could get boxed out. I would argue for him to get boxed out in that instance. But yeah, it's so yeah, interesting. I'm a little higher on this movie than you are in terms of Oscar prognostications right now. I wonder what this movie does at the box office. That's still a story, like we said, we got to cover. But yeah, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a loaded uh, episode. Turned out to be definitely one to watch. Let's spoil it. Spoilers ahead. You're gonna get me fired. <laughs> This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. This is a spoiler 
Warning. This is the spoiler section for the movie The Holdovers by Alexander Payne. This episode is the Oscars profile brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place to hit pause on us. Go check it out at your local theater. If you've seen the movie already, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from this point on. The Holdovers Oscars profile brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, Michael. All right, so I guess we could just trace the plot a little bit. I want to get mm-hmm. to the dilemma at the end of the film, but really we got to set it up, so we might as well just kind of go beat, beat for beat here uh, to an extent. So the movie opens up. It's a very gradual entry, slow curtain to open up. You got the the choir. You get the snowy campus. Yes. You get the breakfast montage at Hogwarts there. You know, you're in the kitchen. You're watching Divine Joy Randolph do her thing. Whose vibe is that of a lunch lady? Like, if she wasn't a world-famous actress, she should just be a lunch lady with a heart of gold. <laughs> she, she fits the part. Uh, yes. You have... You meet Angus Tully in the dorm, right? Where mm-hmm. this other student and him just hate each other, where they're stealing each other's but cigarettes. But we're not trying to copy Dead Poets Society at all. <laughs> well, those kids were Melvins in Dead Poets Society. They had... But these these kids are mother-effing each other up and down. I mean, that's, yeah. this movie has some edge compared to Dead Poets Society, which they're big... Their big, faux, you know, faux pas of the school is that they read poetry in the middle of the night. <laughs> Those are, come on. Those are nerds compared to these kids. These kids are smoking weed. These are fighting. cool kids. These are cool kids, man, in the 70s. Uh, but yeah, we, we and then we meet the teacher. We meet Paul Hunnam. He's called, you know, to the, to the principal's office. We get the backstory on how he failed the senator's son, which I love that backstory, by the way. That's the teacher I had, by the way. That was my uh, con con law professor, and uh, he, he was he did not care where you were from. He's he told us on day one, I will fail you, and I will do it because what you do here going forward is important. It's not anything that doesn't matter, like all the other college classes you've taken. <laughs> Good, okay. <laughs> Good. So we actually see him in the class, and yeah. he's a prick though in the class because he's he's you know, we watch him hand out all the grades, and again, I love this because I had a teacher like who would grade us on improvement. So our first entire first semester's worth of courses, our first. Uh, quarter right the first quarter of the mm-hmm. of the semester you know the the, the mid midterm quarterly i forget what the how they did school i forgot high school, school was four semesters right i had two semesters and i had a high mid, school midterm i don't okay. remember i don't remember right. it's i'm so freaking old now do i even remember am i lying am i making shit up am i watching did I movies did i even go to school can i read <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I remember getting early tests in this class back, and all of us sucked. I remember getting a D plus. The fact that, that we get an F plus grade, yeah, is my favorite thing ever. The F the after F getting plus. an F, like he's giving out Fs, but that one was good enough for an F plus. We say an F plus. I'm dying watching these kids, but this teacher graded on improvement. So if you finish the year with a B plus, that's what you got. And mm-hmm. Angus was the only kid in this class. The holdovers there to get a B plus. He has the highest grade in the class. So Hunnam's a hard ass offering the kids a makeup exam, going to be an average of the two. But then Angus is like, Mr. Hunnam, this is our last class before chapel when we're being dismissed over break. Are you really going to teach us new material now? And then Hunnam's like, yeah, well, screw you. I guess you don't want the makeup exam. Yeah, he wants to stick it to the kids. So 
which is horrible. They're pitting these kids against each other, and he makes the kids rat later on. It, it, he's a bad guy, even if he's a good <laughs> teacher. But no, I mean that's petulant. That's that's horrible. That's egotistical. Anyway, so at the at the mass, the great scene with Mary Lamb, find Joy Randolph about to cry, looks at the ceiling when the priest singles her out about giving her condolences for the upteenth time, not, the loss of the nineteen-year-old son. But we do we need that exposition. We need that clarification. I think. And sure. It matters. So, so yeah, I mean, this, the stage is set. I thought one of the better setups in a while. Angus gets a phone call. The mother is just a nightmare. He thinks he's going him. to St. Kitts with mom and, and stepdad. Right. That's why he's all excited to get out of Charlie, uh, Charlie Hunnam, to get out of Mr. Hunnam's class early and go on Christmas break. But then he gets that heartbreaking phone call that says St. Kitts is out because mom and stepdad have to go on a hike. They haven't I, gone on a hike in a while. No, no, they're going on a honeymoon. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Honeymoon I heard hike. Mike. But I guess they're going on the vacation that they were supposed to bring the sun on, but they want to, you know. They want alone time. They want alone time. It makes sense. So it's actually a sensible thing, but now we have the kid stuck with his rival, of course. <laughs> and they say horrible things to each other, <laughs> these two uh, And these you think two you're gonna, you think you're going to get this, like, Breakfast Club-type movie. At first, because you right. have this group of holdovers that are staying there throughout the Christmas break. And it's going to be, you know, this football player who told his dad he wouldn't cut his hair. So his dad called his bluff and made him stay at school, even though his dad was going to, to ski on vacation. You have uh, another kid whose, fam- whose family is in Korea, another kid who's doing uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, his parents yep. on a mission in Paraguay, you know. Uh, there and and Coons, who's the bully to to Angus's character, his his parents are doing home renovations, even though that turns out might be a lie. So you think you're going to get this like bonding moment between these kids, and then all of a sudden, no. By the way, the football kid's dad forgave him. He's going to take him skiing anyway, and he's going to take every other holdover on the ski vacation with him, except for Angus because Giamatti can't get a hold of Angus's parents right. for permission. But why I love this kind of sequence is that it's used to characterize the teacher and the student. It's used to ter- characterize Paul Giamatti and Dominic Sessa. Paul Giamatti forces these kids to rat on one another. Again, like I said, yeah. that shows us a lot about his character, right? Because he's not relating to these kids on a reasonable level. He's become this dictator. He's become this this nightmare leader where he's doing horrible things to them. Uh, and he's manipulating them in really disgusting ways. And then you see Dominic Sessa, he actually has a redemptive moment where he helps the Korean kid out who peed his pants in the right. middle of the night, right? We're, we're led to believe he, he helps him out the next morning, helps him get changed and everything, changes sheets. But at, at least in that moment, he gives the kid a pep talk, which is very nice, and the kid's able to go to sleep. So you have to save the... You know, you have the, the, the save the friend moment there, save the cat moment, but it's a friend there. I don't want to minimize the character, but it, you have a save the cat moment for that protagonist, which is very yeah. important. Yeah, you, you get little pieces of, you know, kinks in the armor or kinks in the veneer of this, like of both of them being jerks at different times, both with uh, Angus's the Angus character and the Mr. Hunnam character. And you see the, you see them in crisis. So you, the escalation is very clear. Like the kid, when they're left alone, it's just the, it's just Mary, Paul, the teacher and the student. And they, they kind of get through one day or two where the kid will play hooky or the kid will steal the keys in the middle of the night or Hunnam will drink himself into a coma. (laughs) (laughs) But you know they're heading for a confrontation. And, of course, that happens the next day 
where the kid is like, I can't take this anymore. He's calling up a hotel. He, you know, he asked for permission to go to the bathroom. Calling up a hotel. That's the scene you don't like. But it, it leads to a crazy accident. And what they sold the movie on, you know, the 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 vault. This is your Rubicon, sir. Do not cross scene. the Rubicon. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the gym floor is being waxed. So Angus leads this cat and mouse chase where he's forcing Hunnam to basically chase him throughout the school. And he stops on the edge of the gym floor. And Hunnam catches up with him and be like, do not cross the Rubicon. This is your Rubicon. Because he doesn't want him to mess up the newly waxed gym floor. Of course, Angus goes across it. And he does a vault into the gymnastics set. Except we hear this shrieking scream afterwards. And it turns out he might have broken his arm. But what we can learn to come later is he separated his shoulder. And I love this screenplay because they do make this setup plausible to an extent. And I think they make it plausible because you have both of these characters on their last straw, their last life, their last chance. You have Paul Hunnam who is talking to this kid. You're going to get me fired in the hospital. In the hospital. He's saying this. You're going to get me fired. You, (laughs) I can't believe you're going to get me fired right now. We got to report this. And ultimately, I'm I my one job was to keep you safe, and that's not happening. Uh, you weren't kept safe, and I, yeah, I'm done for. I'm done for. I can't believe this. But he's going to go through with it. He's he's a company man enough to where he's not going to try and mess with this. He's going to go through with it, with it. And the kid actually saves his ass by lying to the nurse that that that, that he's their father. It gives a sob story to the mm-hmm. nurse. Gets out of it. They're going to pay in cash, which I guess. In the good old days of 1970, 1970 wouldn't bankrupt you like it nice. would today. Forty-five dollars <laughs> for a hospital trip. Forty, yeah. So th- apparently that that's what happens, and 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 it works. And they, they, I I love the build up from there. They go to the restaurant together. The kid, they're still pushing each other's button. I want a Miller Miller High Life, and the kid's still a prick. I mean, he's a prick to the. Uh, pinball kid and the and the, the Vietnam yeah, it's, War it's, I mean, this is we've seen this trope a billion times. It's two people who are you know haven't had their their best friend moment yet. They're, you know, they hate each other, but they're going to be friends by the end of the movie and you know it, and they're getting each other out of jams along the way. And I like love Angus the seesaw. Gets out of, Angus gets Hunnam out of trouble at the hospital. Hunnam gets Angus out of trouble and learns yep. how to respect other people at the bar, you know. So they're coming to each other's aid, even though it's through sheer desperation. <laughs> right. Now, there is some forced stuff within the screenplay at these moments, too. Like, when they get out of the bar... For no reason whatsoever, they just start expo dumping on each other. Like, I have a shrink. You smell like fish. This is the problem why I smell like fish immediately. Like, it, it's, a, it's a little unrealistic in the conversation, the dialogue, but it's, it is what it is. He, but, it, but it's like cards are on the table. Hey, b- by the way, you smell. <laughs> hey, you know, what, yeah, what are those but I don't medications? know that the response to that, like, you smell, would be like, here's this medical thing I have. I don't know. He's he's telling the kid he's being honest with the kid at that moment. He's also like, how much Jim Beam in? Again, you're able to drink in front of kids. Like, is that? And then drink and drive with the kids. Jesus Christ. That was one of my high school teachers. 1970. (laughs) Anyway, he was invited to the Christmas party by the secretary turned waitress, the True Blood actress there, uh, who I love from True Blood. And... I forget what happens after that. I didn't write it, take notes properly, but at least the niece, they go to the party. They go to the party. There's a nice uh, peeling potatoes scene where yeah. Mary's like, just let's go to the party. And anyway, I forget. Who Hun- yeah, Hunnam doesn't want to go. And, and Angus obviously really wants to go. Mary offers to take Angus and Hunnam says no. And then Mary calls Hunnam out, calls Giamatti out. If you're too chicken shit, then just say so. Right. But don't fuck it up for the little asshole. What are you, what are you afraid <laughs> That's of? That's right. That's a great scene. <laughs> great callback. I'm glad you just, uh, so yes, the niece and Elise. So Angus is actually having a good time. 
and Paul thinks he's having a good time. He's he's vibing with the secretary, and you know they're they're recognizing that sh- they're sweet people. Almost reminded me of the sideways scene, right? With uh, you know they're talking about Pinot Noir. Yeah, and they're I just having you, a great moment. I was relieved when it turned out that. Uh, because you have these parallel storylines about like love or lust or whatever you want to call it, where mm-hmm. the the I forget the woman's name who's throwing the party, but yes. we think we think she's into into Paul Giamatti's character the way Lydia, uh, uh, Lydia, we, the way we think that Elise the niece is into the Angus character, but there wasn't an, any build up between the two of them. Like it just felt like there was chemistry in both those relationships because it was time for the script to say that there was chemistry between them. Like, there wasn't a lot of dialogue going on that we saw between Paul Giamatti's character and Lydia when she was at the server at the bar, other than Angus saying, wow, you two have chemistry. Every me. girl that Angus meets loves him, though. Like, the girls at the bowling alley, Nisa yeah, Lise. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe not, that's not I, our It made experience. me feel icky, the fact that it was coming from Alexander Payne, is, I guess, what I'm saying. Oh. Well, it's not our experience. We're, we're not Well, that's, that's madness, true, too, but I've, I've, I've made my peace with that. <laughs> Maybe there's a little bitterness by both. No, I think, uh, <laughs> I think, I think that's a that's a crazy sequence because again, you know whose stock is up, whose stock is down, and Paul's actually you think he's having a great moment and finally having a fun time at the party, and you might have a, a love interest, but then it immediately, you know, the tables are turned on him because her boyfriend, her husband walks in, Lydia's right. boyfriend walks in, and it's and boom, it's just. Hopes are dashed yet again, and he should have known. It's a great performance moment from Giamatti where mm-hmm. his eyes just go dead. He's like, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, what, just... what is going on with his eyes in this movie, by the way? Does well, Paul Giamatti actually have a fake eye? No, it's a it's a fake eye. He His eyes are not like that. Okay. but I he, didn't the, think so. But The yeah. character has, a, 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 for lack of a better term, a lazy eye. Okay. And and it's inconsistent. Like I'm unsure which eye to look at, but it becomes a part of the plot later. So right. it's it's, right. it's again seated in. So Mary, her own arc in that scene. I mean, she it looks like she's having a nice moment with her coworker, uh, and he gives her a gift. Obviously, he, he's sweet on her. Oh my God, I'm I'm acting like I'm from the 1940s. <laughs> he's sweet on her. See, he wants the to make poodle her skirt. S- see, yeah, poodle. Uh, but we have uh, we have a nice scene between them but but that she's going to the dark side of course she does her son is dead and she's playing this you know old music that is out of fashion from the 1950s or whatever uh, that her son used to like and everybody at the party like oh god play something else yeah i'll tell you this was another inconsistency for the script with me because i i not that she spirals because i think that's appropriate and we finally see her spiral and come to grips with her son being killed and and all that but as as soon as that scene is over they're all leaving the party because they've had enough and Paul Giamatti feels embarrassed and and uh, Angus is upset because it was going well with Nisa Elise and he didn't want to be pulled out and uh, Mary's spiraling. So they're all like projecting onto one another. But Mary immediately after that scene becomes the voice of reason. And it tells Paul Giamatti, you don't tell a kid who's been abandoned on Christmas Eve that nobody wants him and you can't wait to let him go which is what Giamatti does. She like she goes from spiraling out of control in the kitchen to immediately being the voice of reason, you know, the Jiminy Cricket of it all, and, and chastising Paul Giamatti in the next scene. I don't know. She's shown to be a rounded character, but I feel like she's channel Like, her arc is to channel, you know, her grief into something good. Ultimately, with her sister, she channels it towards becoming an aunt and, and rededicating mm-hmm. her life to you know, saving money for her, her sister's 
you know, for, for her niece or nephew's college years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she has that's her redemptive arc and, and she gives her sister all of the uh the clothes, the baby right. clothes. And then here, yeah, you're right. But she's not so drunk that she's out of control. She's just angry and upset, and and she's not acting well. She's not dealing with it well. I mean, again, I I think in in other movies it would have been worse. So I I, I don't think you're wrong, but I think uh, this is better. You're probably right. It's better. The white people did better (laughs) characterizing her character here. But the white people didn't do great still because this is a movie then, made by white people. So, right, so yeah, you're, you're probably right. And the next morning uh, we <laughs> go from there to a white person trying to make good by Paul Giamatti trying to be all Christmassy now on Christmas morning for Angus and Mary. So I love that there's a big buildup and he's all, you know, screw next morning Scrooge right after the dream. And he wants to do it nice. And it's very, it's fine. (laughs) Like it's, I love that. You said you like the tree. (laughs) Look, I really, what I really want to do is go to Boston. Let's go Mm -hmm. to fucking Boston. Come on, Boston. And he ultimately agrees, which is great. And we get the road trip montage. We get the, you know, dropping Mary off at Roxbury, a touching sequence with the sister. I yep. love that. I, that's when I almost lost it. I, I almost cried when the, the, the sister and her hugged. Jesus. Yeah, that was that was nice. That was very, very sweet and tender. Uh, but obviously there's a big buildup. She's placing the, the baby shoes in the in the drawer one after another. Oh, that that got me. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, a cutesy setup where the, the, the Angus has got to walk her up to all the flights of stairs. That's mm-hmm. funny. And then you have those two knuckleheads going on to the Boston proper. So it's a it's a good again the transitions handled very well feels very best picturey very Oscary yeah smooth composition man loved it but now we're we're heading into what feels like go time between these characters yeah they go bowling yeah they go uh, they have breakfast and they're getting along they they go to the bookstore. You know, the they go to the museum. Oh my God, teaching teaching him real things involving pornography, but fine. <laughs> See, sodomy has always been around, kid. I I love the fact that he's propositioned by the sex worker, and he and then he's like, "What are you a virgin still? Nah, I you I, I did things in my twenties that would curl your toes, <laughs> son. Curl your toes. Yeah, it's a great thing. That's funny. Anyway, you know, he's learning how to be a teacher again because he has to relate to these. To, to the kid on a, on a personal level and get through to this kid in a unique way, which of course is, you know, if you, if you have taught anything in your life, you realize you have to do, you have to figure out how to teach different kids different ways. So I thought that was fitting and it made sense and good. I mean, that's what this kid needed. You, you think they're bonding, right? You think they're bonding they're going to the movie and he's well, there's two, the movie. there's two, there's two incidents that, that really bond them too. And one is running into, old Harvard friend Hugh Cavanaugh. Yes, and that's, that leads to the reveal that uh, Angus learns that Hunnam never actually finished college and that Hunnam was brought in as an adjunct professor only because he never finished college and the former dean hired him as a favor, basically. And then the other uh, reveal is that Hunnam learns that Angus suffers from uh, medically diagnosed depression. Which is, these so, are huge revelations. Yeah, they're, they're, they're learning about each other along the way and then they decide to go to the movies in Boston and then this is what happens. The kid tries to give him the slip and they're watching yeah. this. I forget the what the movie's called. Little Drummer Boy. Pacino's anyway. in it, whatever it is. No, no, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Hoffman like, almost, yeah. almost Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> half anyway, a Pacino. <laughs> half a Pacino. We have, uh, so yeah, we have this reluctant scene where you think it's going to be a big chase scene but ultimately it's just right. this kid saying... 
look, I need to go see my father. It's not at a cemetery because then Giovanni's like, of course we can go to the cemetery. The kid lied to him. The father's at a mental hospital and he wants to see him. And Paul Giamatti's like, okay, let's see him. Now, here's where you get some nitpicks. But there is this scene that doesn't feel like it's the biggest part of the movie. But I guess it, it to me it felt like in the previous iterations of this particular story, this would be the big finale. And we got like a fake resolution where at the dinner the next day, you get the you're not your father speech. That could have been the ending of the movie. Yep. Uh, the, the the problem I have, the big issue I have, is that there could have been like four or five different endings mm-hmm. prior to where they ended this. And then at the very, very end, they throw in this curveball that I don't think fit tonally anyway. But that's why I say this could have been 20 minutes shorter. But yeah, I, I still mean, like the dilemma, though. You like I, it. Yeah. I don't think you get the dilemma if you can't if you can't if you can't make it a do or die situation. Right. And it's really a die-or-die die situation. That's the but thing. Couldn't, like a, couldn't the movie have just been these two coming to an understanding of one another? And you're not, you know, you're, everybody's on their own path? I think it's less than. I like that that he has to get himself fired for the boy to be successful. Because I think, ultimately, he'd grown past that school, right? Sure. I, I yeah, think- and that was that was his crutch. It was He was, like, holding to it. He says it felt like home, but he really... When he tried to go beyond that school, he failed, and so he was holding to it. I understand all that. The boy needed to stay, and he needed to leave. Right. Ultimately, even though it was, I just don't like the way it was handled either. I mean, I have, I have, you know, that's why I guess where I'm coming from. I have a couple negatives about why it happened to me. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the the so the big twist at the end is that. They do this field trip to Boston. Angus sees his father, who's in a, some kind of uh, med- mental institution. Uh, they come back, and it, it school goes back in session, and it turns out that Angus's parents show up one day. And uh, Hunnam gets called into the dean's office, and they confront him, and they say, how dare you take our son to Boston? Uh, how dare you take him to see his father? His father got violent and attacked someone with this snow globe that Angus gave him, and we want answers. And to me... So that snow globe was something we saw earlier in the movie, and it was something that Angus must have stolen from the Christmas party at uh, Lydia's house. Okay. So we're given this scene in the mental institution where Angus goes up to his father. He has to be escorted by a male nurse. The father has to be escorted into the room by a male nurse. The father has to be escorted to be sat down at the table with Angus by the male nurse. The father is clearly not there mentally, and the male nurse is hovering over them the entire time because it's a supervised visit. But yet the, the crux that we don't see on screen, the inciting incident, is that not only in this institution where Angus has to sign in and be escorted to this room, this like jailed off room where these patients are, he was able to smuggle in a bulky snow globe. He was able to give that bulky snow globe to his father, who is not all there mentally. That father, who is not all there mentally, who was being oversaw the entire time by a male nurse, was able to sneak that past the male nurse into some kind of clothing that he I mean, doesn't have pockets. The the suit he was wearing. Or yeah, anything. we don't see any of that, though. Like, right? this mean, is all just... it's just so un, it's unbelievable to me. And yes, it comes off as a nitpick. But it's like to me, that's you could write a better inciting incident than that. All right. I I don't have as many problems because, number one, it's 1970. How what was the security for this mental institution? Not <laughs> we great, saw it, though. Guess. We saw what the security was. They walk in. That's all that we saw. We, <laughs> but you're right. There's an orderly watching over the, the man. But I don't know if they if he is he on him every second. Could he have slipped him the snow globe? It, 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 to me, it's 
it could have happened. But also, we know this boy is a kleptomaniac. We he stole the cigarettes from the uh, the rival student. Yeah, that's one of his things too. Is he talks about how he he steals and he doesn't have it all together and why he thinks he's like his father is because of that. Yeah. So anyway, whatever. I you're right. It's not wholly flushed out. Maybe they could have done. A like better I don't job. need to see it. Like I don't need to see him giving his father the snow globe. I'm just saying. Don't make it something so bulky. Like, have it be anything. It seems like an it. elaborate, contrived yeah. lie. It's like yeah. somebody lying. Just excuse me. Too many details. I don't like. If, I don't like the parents showing up in the first place. And if they're showing up because of something else that I don't like, it just bugs yeah. me. It's a little clunky. It's yeah. a little clunky. However, I just think that the fact that Paul Hunnam is called to the principal's office again, and I love the the back and forth. I love that these parents are pricks to the point where they're going to put him in a, you know, a. Uh, Military Academy. Was, the father was one of those guys, that guys too. Stepfather. Yeah, the stepfather yeah, seems to be resolute. They, their minds are already made up. They have it in for this kid. Right. And she's, you know, they just went on their honeymoon together. So, of course, she's on her new husband's side. And, of course, she just left her son there. And we, we kind of realize why, you know, she doesn't want to see her son because it reminds her of the father that they loved. And uh, he went downhill, obviously. So it makes sense. And and it turns into this great dilemma for Paul Giamatti's character. So he, he actually he has to make a decision. Either I'm going to allow this kid to be put at risk because if he goes to military academy for a career in the military, what's happening in 1970 is the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. where we've gotten a very real example of of Curtis Lamb being killed at a 19 year old as a 19 year old boy. So this kid will be released essentially into Vietnam in two years. Right. So it's either he's he's putting this kid at risk and he keeps his job and he could throw this kid under the bus easily. Not he, he doesn't have to do a he doesn't even have to do a lot, excuse me, to do that. He all he has to do is say, "Yeah, the kid slipped the leash." Right. He can throw him under the bus easily, but of course the theme, I mean the trope of the movie prior to that is that Angus had lied so many times to help out. But Hunnam, not only that of course yeah, Hunnam has to repay the favor. Not only does he repeat the favor, but he he turns the room against himself. Right. He's like, he sacrifices you. He himself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he jumps on, he makes those people hate him mm-hmm. in that scene to the, to the point where the principal is gladly, you brought this on yourself. So Paul Giamatti sacrifices his own job to give the boy one last chance at the school. And it's just great. I love the scene at the car so much. The cherry Jubilee. Well, no, they, I like that scene too. We didn't even mention that. That was a fitting, what we thought was a fitting conclusion. It's right? another end. That. That's what I mean. There was like four different times this movie could have ended. <laughs> it was a fake ending. We That's why the movie lulled me to sleep. I thought the movie was over. Yeah. And yet you get this great dilemma of, holy shit, this, the, the boy has to, or the, the teacher has to decide, you know, is he going to teach Cut the boy by example? Cut his nose off despite his face, yeah. And he's, and he's going to go against his own principles of lying. Mm-hmm. on behalf of the boy which i just think is a dramatic irony at its height and also you get this moment where the two of them are sitting at the car he's leaving he's gonna do what's best for him actually and go write a novel hopefully go to europe right he swishes is, jim beam around in his mouth and spits it out no that was the uh that was the liquor from the the principal he stole it from oh, the he's, oh okay office. i missed that okay okay the principal's fancy schmancy liquor there whatever McCallan, it was yeah the McAllen uh aged Run. Spit it on the on the ground, yeah. but I I just love the fact that you had these two give that teary eyed handshake. They don't know what to do. I, it's an awkward goodbye. It, they don't hug 
which you think in any other movie the, the two characters would at least give an awkward hug, but they don't hug, which wins this movie over. And it's an extra point on my grade, I think. It was just so fitting. I love that so much. A teary-eyed handshake. I felt like I had that with a professor back at you know the schools I went to. It just makes sense. I don't know. It's no, I'm awkward look, now. Man, I, you're, this is this is the beauty of movies. We say this yes. all the time. Like you're able to relate to it because you it makes you feel something that you felt previously, right? Like you you're able to relate to it in that way. That's awesome, Mr. Johnson. Remember yeah. that? Sh- I remember that. You know, teary eyed handshake. That's and great. I, yeah. So it's just like I mean, where do you? So what, what? What was your <laughs> what was your final grade here? What are you? I'm an A minus ninety one. I rewatched okay. it and I can't. I walked out of it. I'm, I'm still an A minus ninety one. I I, yeah. I would agree with you. I th- I felt like the, it lagged just a little bit on rewatch. Maybe it's I, I didn't think necessarily twenty minutes too long, but it's like two hours and twelve minutes. So I was saying to myself, eh, it's like twelve minutes too long. Yeah, I so mean, it's not well, an A, but if, it's up if, there. Yeah, if it was like you know. 155 i probably would be happier with it but yeah whatever. i mean it, i was thinking a minus the whole time and i was like all right b plus territory and then i was just so turned off by that last like whatever it was 15 minutes 20 minutes but it's still an 87 that's still a b plus for me Good. it's still one of the better movies of the year for me so we're like a, a couple point curve yeah back back to normal yeah right? we're back baby <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the holdovers, which is definitely something we'll be talking about as the season goes on, no doubt, as it uh, we get closer and closer to Oscars nomination reveal time uh, and all the precursor awards shows that we think this will be involved in uh, here to forthwith, as you like to say, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love we, that word. <laughs> there's no, as always, what matters most to us, dear listener, are your thoughts. Have you seen this movie already? Do you plan on seeing it? If you have seen it, where do you think it will compete and land in your personal rankings as well as the Oscars rankings to come? Uh, and also, as always, you can leave us any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter or X. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com, and on Reddit to get a hold of us. Uh, if you if you enjoy what we do here, if you appreciate listening to us on either the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, we're act- we're actually like reviewing movies for a change. Uh, that's going to stop pretty soon though tell the good people what's coming next and let's have some words of wisdom to end on i think we got to do an oscar race checkpoint yeah. for jimmy kimmel and for the critics choice documentary awards and for some other nominations and and definitely i counted the trailers we could talk about there are 32 trailers good god obviously we're not gonna do 32 trailer reviews maybe we can maybe come we up should with maybe we fun. should rank them like a ncaa style 32 teams a bracket, a trailer yeah. bracket, just an arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. Here's the trailers we fell behind bracket. Yeah, there you go. We we just pick the winners. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's going to be Eileen. <laughs> you like the Eileen trailer? I really okay. did like that. People trailer say lot, yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but people say the Maestro trailer is the best trailer of the year. But I don't anyway, think I've seen it. I don't think I've seen I, it. Yet. I haven't clicked play on it yet, but yeah. I do. Uh, I do have 32 trailers. So that would make it a bracket. Yeah, yeah I guess we could go. do a trailer bracket. But all right, so we have a trailer review segment for sure uh, in, in our next Oscar race checkpoint. Now, are we going to review Napoleon, Saltburn, Rustin? I don't know. I think we're going to withhold what we're going to commit to in terms of an Oscars profile, right? Because, well, yeah, here's, a, here's a question for you. Yep. Do you want to review a movie that you despise? Like, like, like if we hate one of those movies, is that good? Is that good podcasting? I don't know. Like the way I, I feel about it is that, like, when it comes to this time of year, if it's something we hate, we're going to talk about it plenty as it is. 
You know what I mean? So I don't think we need to dedicate an entire episode to it if we're that against it. But So the Oscars profiles are more like this. You want to do the full episodes on stuff we mostly like and we want to study? Because uh, I always wondered what... Because like we, we did Ad Astra where... We kind of which was, hated it. Which was one of our most listened to episodes ever. I know. I'm so, just trying. Selfishly, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the people want the hate. We only hate the best here at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Maybe they, they want the hate. I do. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know what we they should want. What do the that. people want? Got to give the people. It's wise for you to tell us. Do you want us to do Killers of the Flower Moon? You know we're not fond. I'm not fond of it. Well, you're maybe, not fond of it. I maybe think you it's love the greatest it. movie ever. Yeah. You might. I don't I know. I do. I want that. I want that you, discord between us. You, you've been, you've been seeding a lot of uh, upcoming arguments just by that. You, you enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel very passionately against that movie. Yeah, you're not a fan. You are not a fan. No, I'm not. I do look forward. I do think we're gonna enjoy like like the Iron Claw. I think it's something you're gonna like. Good. I don't know why. I just have based based on nothing on but vibes. Well, that's the thing. that's the thing. We do a reviewing the reviews segment. There's a yeah. bunch of movies that uh, people have been weighing in on. Yeah, there sure are. Hunger Games and the Ma- Hunger and the Games Madden is Web supposed trailer. to be awesome. Ehrlich loved it. Yeah, which Mr. is hilarious, Ehrlich. by the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will get to all of that. Uh, yeah, in the wise words, like I agree with also Mike here. Let us know what you want from us. Just tell yeah. us. Uh, we will try to provide. <laughs> but as always, dear. I guess I did that part already. Uh, how do I close this, Mike? I'm so chopped off with the ending anymore. When reality sucks. Yeah, but I say something in cutesy I in the lead up. No, you have it memorized, and I zone you out every I know single you do. I time. wish for once you'd listen. I, you wish I knew your copy so I could write it down. You know what I should do? I should copy and paste what you normally say and script yeah, it. Yeah, you should. You should. At the end I, of the episodes, yeah. Uh, you think I would write it after all these years, but I don't. I just totally have it in there. And when it's not at the forefront of my mind, it's gone. It's gone. Poof. Yeah. Well. When you forget what to say at the end of every episode. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can forget what you're supposed to say with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. <laughs>